we're back with episode three of the two body problem this is akshay and i'm sarah i don't think we did that on our last episode we are learning as we go along yeah so today what we wanted to talk about is the broad theme of undergraduate admissions and we kind of came up with the idea that we wanted this to be the theme like first of all because I think we both have a lot to say about it, but also because we wanted to emphasize the diversity of backgrounds that people come from before going to grad school. So I definitely had it in my head before I came to MIT that you have to come from a really elite institution in order to even get into MIT. And then I still felt very intimidated to actually go to MIT because I was afraid everyone's going to be from Harvard or something. I mean, (laughs) um, and so we wanted to talk about how that's not true. And also, I think it um, goes beyond undergrad and also to grad school, right? Like when we would go to conferences, we would often meet people who were from many different grad schools across the country. And it was always really interesting to talk to them about research that they're doing, about the different tools that they have available. In many cases, the facilities that they had were like a lot better than what we had at MIT. Absolutely. And, you know, we have the experience of having gone to grad school at MIT for better or for worse, um, potentially for worse. No, just kidding. But that does by no means does that mean that amazing research isn't going on in other places and that you can't have maybe an even better experience somewhere else frankly i think that if i had stayed at rutgers which is where i did my undergrad if i had stayed there for grad school maybe i'd still be in academia right now it's a thousand percent dependent on your particular situation so we have a lot of feelings about this and we just wanted to talk about it yeah um about that part about rutgers if you had stayed in rutgers we wouldn't have met that's true oh my gosh you know a wise woman who was waxing my legs once told me while i was complaining about grad school you know if you hadn't gone to grad school you would not have met your boyfriend and i was like you're right thanks waxing lady Um, another thing that we wanted to talk about is we, the two of us, Akshay and I obviously had very different experiences before coming to MIT. And there were a lot of things when I found out like how undergraduate admissions in India works, I was like, wow, that's very different from what I'm used to. And Um, I think. And the same for me, I was surprised by a lot of things, um, that people have to do for, for undergraduate admissions in the U.S., So maybe we should start off with that. Maybe um, we can talk a little bit about undergraduate admissions in both places. And granted, it's been quite some time since either of us have been through this process. But um, for people who are less familiar with the U.S. system of undergraduate admissions is it's basically a crapshoot. And it's it's I think the main difference between how it works here and how it works in India is that it's based on a lot, a lot, a lot of things. And you have to write a bunch of essays and colleges, quote unquote, look at you as a, a whole person. Who knows what really goes on, honestly. Um, yeah, that's I think that the aspect that I was most surprised by was that it's not just a test. It's more um, it, it's it's more involved. There's essays involved and um 
Do you have to get letters of recommendation yeah. as well? Yeah, from, okay. from your high school people. Okay. Um, yeah, that's not something that I had ever heard of in India. Um, the first time that I ever wrote like an essay for any kind of admission was when I was applying to grad school. And even then it seemed like a strange thing to do. That's interesting. I didn't know that you didn't have to get letters of recommendation for um, getting into college. No, it's just it's just based on one test. Now, the test itself might be different for different colleges, but it's based on that test score. Yeah, incredibly different. I mean, you know, testing is obviously a, hopefully becoming a less important part of admissions in the U.S., um, but yeah, I was certainly stressed enough when I was doing my SATs that to have it be the one thing um, to get into college, I think I would have ended up in the nurse's office with more heart palpitations than I did. It's a story for another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I can maybe talk a little bit more about how it works in India. And once again, it's been about a decade since I did this. And I know for a fact that things have changed in that time. Um, the people in charge in India like to play around with the system every few years um, to the betterment or detriment of the students taking these exams. But anyway, the way it roughly works is that at the end of your 12 years of uh, school, you take um, a college entrance exam. And I think that the college entrance exam has gotten a lot more centralized in that there's one big exam that you take which determines your admission to like a lot of different colleges across India. And then there's like a second level of that exam that you can take, which is used by, I believe, the Indian Institutes of Technology, which are a group of, uh, a, a group of universities across India. I went to one of, the, one of these places. So I went to the Indian Institute of Technology in Bombay from 2009 to 2014. So yeah, as a high schooler in India, you end up taking anywhere in the region of like three to five or maybe more entrance exams. Um, yeah. And what happens once you get your results? So then you apply to colleges based on those results. And, you know, in some exams you maybe did well, in some exams maybe you didn't. And so that determines where you get it, where you can potentially go. Also, I think one thing that's different in India is that you have to pick your major right when you apply to undergrad. And I think this is still true. But when I took this exam, the most popular subject, which everyone wanted to do, was computer science. And so almost everyone who had a good rank ended up doing computer science. And um, the next uh, subject, which was the most popular, was electrical engineering. And that's what I ended up doing. And there's like this hierarchy of subjects almost, um, which forms right from the first year of college. And that is something that blew my mind, like the hierarchy of subjects, because here I am coming in as a material scientist, which I find out is one of the lowest ranking subjects, one of the last choices at IIT Bombay. And I didn't know this until, you know, years after I met Akshay, but I was like, well, what kind of idiot did you think I was, <laughs> you know, being in lowly material science? It's, it's true, material science for some for whatever reason um, and I think in India it's more metallurgy it's um, I think it's is what the field is usually known as and that tends to be a subject that not a lot of people with 
you know, who get good ranks in these exams go for. I, but I, I don't have anything against metallurgy and material science. It's just one of those things, you know, I think the perception is that you get more jobs and more high ranking jobs in CS and, and electrical engineering. And I think that that's a major reason why a lot of students go for, go for that field. I think, you know, it would be so challenging to be in college at a place where you weren't just like subtly judged for your major, but you were actually literally being judged. And then you got to decide your major. I, you know, man, it's stressful enough. <laughs> it is, yeah. And um, I, you know, when I think back about it now, I do think that there was this kind of unsaid hierarchy in that, like when you see someone from a particular from a particular field of study, we so we call them branches. So that's the word that I keep thinking of. Mm-hmm. So when you see someone from a particular branch, you kind of know how well they did in this one exam. And that's, yeah, that's a little bit messed up. Man, that, yeah, must be stressful. <laughs> so Sarah, can you tell me some more about your process of getting admitted to undergrad? Um, where all did you apply and how did you decide to go to Rutgers? Yeah. It was quite dramatic, actually. Um, and I am, I cannot say it enough. I'm so, so happy that I went to Rutgers for undergrad. So, how did I end up there? It wasn't technically my first choice, I guess, or it wasn't publicly my first choice. In my high school, um, I went to Princeton High School, which is the public high school um, in the town of Princeton, New Jersey, and it was a stressful place to be. It was super, super competitive, and it felt like the pinnacle of high school achievement, I mean, as might be the case in many, many high schools across the country, is to apply and get into an Ivy League school. And so I, for whatever reason, convinced myself that I really wanted to go to the University of Pennsylvania. I mean, no shade, great school, of course. Why wouldn't anyone want to go there? I just feel like I kind of just was like, well, I have to pick one and I have Mm. to try to get in. And they had like a good education grad program, which back in high school, I didn't understand that like I wanted to go into education um, when I was in high school. Uh, and I didn't understand that it didn't really matter that their grad program, that their master's program was good if I was going to go there for undergrad. So I was just like, okay, this one. Mm. And I... Mm. Why the University of Pennsylvania was... Um, because, you know, you said that you went to high school in Princeton, and so there's an Ivy League school right down the road. Well, that might have been a little bit too close to home. I also think there, I don't know, I may have been thinking things like, well, they're not gonna, how many kids are they gonna accept for my high school? And a lot of the kids at my high school had parents who worked at Princeton University. And I don't know, I don't really, who knows? It was quite a long time ago. So um, I probably blocked out a lot of the details from (laughs) my memory because it was stressful. And Philadelphia was close, and I think my parents liked the idea of that school. Um, so I applied, and I applied early decision. And could you clarify what early decision means exactly? Sure. It means if you go, if you get in, you have to go. You're committing early. Um, there's other stuff called early action, which means if you get in, you just know. You don't have to commit. And I think a lot of schools are moving towards that. Um I think it's more popular now than it was 
back then, but so I applied early decision, but I was asking this financial person or this counselor, I was like, I'm a little worried about the finances. Like what if I get in and then can't afford to go or decide it doesn't make sense financially, do I still have to go? And they're like, oh my gosh, don't worry about it. We have financial aid, just apply, um, which was obviously a mistake. So I, I applied and then I got in. I don't think I even conceptualized like actually going there or what it would have even mean if I got in. I definitely wanted to get in to mm -hmm. an Ivy League school more than I actually wanted to go to one. And I got in and then I think later we found out the information about the financial aid, which just, you know, it wasn't enough to make sense. Like, sure, I could have taken out loans and stuff, but it's like I have two younger siblings and I just like... I felt like I don't want to put my family in that position if I had another option, and I did, which was Rutgers, and they had given me scholarship money, um, mm -hmm. and I just felt like, I mean, how can, it, there's an obvious choice here, like, it felt like there was no way that I, having another option, I could um, make that kind of financial decision. And also I think like I just felt more at home at Rutgers, like I had been to the campus more, both my parents went there. And I felt, I definitely felt like less intimidated by going to Rutgers maybe for no reason. I mean, I don't think the academics at Rutgers or any state school compared to any other school are that different. I mean, I've TA'd at Rutgers and I've TA'd at MIT. And to be honest, I don't, I don't think there's a huge difference. I, I mean, obviously it depends on the class and stuff, but anyway, I don't, I think there's no, there was no reason for me to have felt less intimidated by Rutgers, but ultimately I did. And I feel like I was able to take advantage of more opportunities there because of that. Mm. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's, oh, oh, and, and, um, right. I tried to get out of the early decision thing. I was like, look, I, just really don't feel like it makes sense. Is there any way I can apply to other places? Because I had already submitted my application to Rutgers and I had already heard back, but I think it was before the deadlines to other places. And they're like, okay, fine. You're only allowed to apply to like state schools or something. I don't know. It was some like weird arbitrary thing. And I was like, well, fine, whatever. Like I already have another like better choice. So it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, that's... That's my story. Mm -hmm. um, so, and honestly, like, so my parents always said, it doesn't matter where you go to undergrad if you want to go to grad school. So you should just take the cheapest option for undergrad and save your money for grad school. And I, and they were partially right, partially because I think it's true, at least in our field, that once you're in grad school, it doesn't really matter like you're like where you went to undergrad you're being judged based on your work mm -hmm. in grad school what you did five years before that or if it's a master's program matter. two years before that it doesn't matter um the reason i say only partially true is if you want to get a phd in the sciences they pay you which is what i didn't know i think i was kind of operating under the impression that if i wanted to get any graduate degree i would have had to pay and i didn't find out until like when I actually started applying for grad school is, oh, they will pay me, not mm. a ton, but a livable salary to go to grad school. So that's mm. something I had wished, I wish I had known. So Akshay, we heard from you about the process of 
applying to undergrad in India. Do you want to like talk more specifically about your experience? Yeah. So um, as I was saying, there's this big exam that you need to take. And so I spent about a couple of years preparing for it. And um, the program that I was in, it was um, basically preparing for this exam, which tests you in physics, chemistry and math. And I did have other subjects that I was studying in, in, in high school. I was I had like computer science and I had um, English and um, I basically did not study these subjects for like two years. So to put that in, to put that in context, um, the way high school works in India is at the end of 10th grade, which I guess would be this at the end of the second year of high school in the US, yeah. um, you take like, a, like this big exam and on the basis of how well you do in that exam, you can apply to either in your own school if it offers two more years or you can apply to a different school which offers um, the last two years of high school and um, then at the end of those two years you again have this big exam that everyone who um, follows the same curriculum takes and this is in addition to the college entrance exams which are um, administered by the colleges. So is the second two years of high school that you have to test into, is that specifically for preparing for the college entrance exams? That's a great question. So in an ideal world, um, there would be only one exam at the end of high school and that would, well, in an ideal world, there would be no exams, but in a less ideal world, there'd be one exam at the end of high school and that would be applicable everywhere. But in India, we like to amp up our exams. And so the two years of high school, um, the last two years of high school, they prepare you for the exam that you're going to take at the end of high school, which in my experience, that preparation is not enough for a lot of college entrance exams. You have to do a lot of your own preparation. What What's happened in India is that a bunch of um, coaching institutions have come up, which supplement this gap between what you would learn for just the exams at the end of high school and what is needed for a college entrance exam. And... Um, oftentimes this coaching is very expensive and only people who have the resources can afford to get the right coaching and the right um, guidance. And I think that's something that's common between how it's how it works out ultimately in India and how it works out in the US is that access to resources, I think, is the main factor behind who gets into these elite institutions. Yeah, I was going to say that's not dissimilar to SAT scores and how that correlates with income, with family income. Yeah. And so I think I think the broader point here is that I think access to resources and having a family background where your family has that kind of those kinds of resources, I think, is a major factor in how well you do in these exams and whether or not you make it to these institutions. Something that I encounter very often in India is I tell someone where I went to undergrad and as everyone's like, oh, wow, you must be so smart. And I kind of have to like step back a little bit because I think that really it's more a function of the fact that I was fortunate enough that my parents had the resources to get me the right coaching, get me the right guidance. Um, and I had a home environment where I was able to work hard without distractions. Um, to prepare for this exam. And I know that there are a lot of people in India who do not have that those luxuries. And despite having, you know, despite having um, 
everything else that it might take to do well in these exams just because of lack of access to these resources they're not able to um and so that's why i'm like a little bit i don't really often i don't know how to respond when someone says oh you must be really smart when you got into this place because i think it's much more about the fact that i was fortunate enough to have the, have resources yeah completely and i think um yeah everything you said is true for colleges in the u.s as well it's mm -hmm. like you know i was able to take the sats three times and that's a test you have to pay for and i i don't know went to like a psat camp or whatever um so yeah completely mm -hmm. that tests for college admissions are a lot of it is based on like your situation oh um Fun story about Akshay telling me that he went to IIT Bombay. So what I thought that that meant, because there's a lot of IITs or Indian Institute of Technology, there's a lot of them around India, yeah. right? Yes, there are IITs in different locations across India. And I thought that was kind of like, oh, you know, at Rutgers, we have three campuses, like Camden, Newark, and New Brunswick, and there's not really like a hierarchy to those and if i went to rutgers uh new brunswick and someone else went to rutgers new york would be like oh oh my gosh like wow you went here i went there so anyway i didn't <laughs> know that the iits had a hierarchy to them i did not know that iit bombay was like is it the best or one of the best i don't know it's again i think it's just um it's one of the older older ones um so originally a bunch of the what's what are called the older IITs were started in like the 1950s and over the course of the last 70 years or so um more IITs have come up and I think that just because those places are newer they just haven't had as many resources they just haven't had as many generations of students and so there's this there's a perception that yes the older IITs are in some way better okay he won't say it but this IIT Bombay is ranked very highly one of the, the highest ranked ones and then you know I'd meet other people at MIT um who are like oh I went to IIT such and such and I'd be like oh that's funny my boyfriend went to IIT Bombay and I didn't know that was like saying oh you went to like Brown my boyfriend went to Harvard um so all this time I was embarrassing myself because I didn't know that it wasn't just like saying oh you went to one state school from the state I went to the other um yes anyway yes India is not a state no that's not what I meant <sighs> Okay, so I have another question for you, Akshay. Um, since we're talking about undergrad and undergrad admissions, if we had met back in undergrad somehow, do mm. you think we would have been friends? Hmm. Well, I um, I don't think so, honestly. You don't think so? No. Oh my gosh. Okay, why? <laughs> okay, so I can I can tell you why you would not have been wanted to, you would not have wanted to be friends with me. Okay. And I think that's because back in undergrad, I was um, a bit of a tryhard. I would try really hard to make other people... I was very conscious of, like, myself. Like, I was very conscious that I... If, if, I, was in, if I was talking with someone and I picked up, like, even the slightest hint that they were getting, like, bored, even, even though they might not be getting bored, they might just, like, 
look away for like a second and I might feel like, oh, Jesus Christ, they're getting bored. I would become instantly very conscious and like try super hard to say something like funny or interesting. And in most cases, I would fail dramatically. And um, so, yeah, I think that that would have happened um, if we had gotten to know each other in undergrad, I would have crashed and burned and you would have been like, what an obnoxious person. I'm never going to talk to them again. I don't know. I was going to say, I think I really would have gravitated towards you in undergrad because I mean, your, your, um, overarching qualities of just being like a really genuine and nice person and just being like a really calming person to Aww. be around. I don't, I think that probably would have been the same. I was going to say, I think we would have been friends, um, in undergrad high school maybe not <laughs> okay do you think that well okay I guess this question is kind of moot if you think that we wouldn't have even been friends in undergrad but I was gonna say do you think that we would have dated mm. in undergrad well maybe you can tell me because you think that we might have been friends in undergrad so yeah. do you think that you would have dated me in undergrad okay 100% not and I'm <gasps> okay look look I'm here's the reason I'm glad that we didn't meet in undergrad is because I was not ready to be in any relationship in undergrad. And so if you had approached me about that, I would have done what I did to everyone else who approached me about that, which is literally never speak to them again. Mm. So <laughs> that's why I'm glad that we met in grad school. Um, and I had gotten over a little bit of that. Um, I know I'm a terrible person. <laughs> um, but I think I was just, like, so stressed by the idea of being in a relationship that, like, even if it, if it was, like, someone who I, like, knew kind of well, mm. I would be like, oh, yeah, let's just be friends. <laughs> Bye. And then I just did not answer any of their, <laughs> their messages after that. So, yeah. Whoops. Um, That's the way to do it. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm glad that that didn't happen with mm. us. I'm glad the timing worked out. Me too. Okay. Oh, we had another thing besides that, that, that reminds me. Um, so as much as we wish we were a podcast that recaps episodes of The Bachelor, um, we're not, we leave that to the professionals, but we had a couple of comments on last week's episode, um, which I guess by the time you're listening to this, it will be like not the most recent one but the the first episode the first, the first episode, episode of the season. Of season um we were delighted to see that there was someone with a phd who is one of the contestants and another person who is a grad student so um i think it was maggie and piper we're rooting for you guys <laughs> So we'd like to end with a call to action, and our call to action this week is about House Resolution 25, which was introduced by Congresswoman Cori Bush of Missouri. Congresswoman Bush said on Twitter that this resolution would investigate and expel the GOP members of Congress who attempted to overturn the election and incited a white supremacist attack. So our call to action is to contact your representative and urge them to sign on to this resolution so we can remove the people who were behind and enabling and encouraging the white supremacist insurrection. We're going to leave a link uh, as a resource in the episode description where you can find out who your representative is. So yeah, that's all for us. Thank you so much for making it all the way to the end with us. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the Two Body Problem Pod and Twitter at Two Body Prob Pod. Thanks again, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.